Welcome to the Insider Physio podcast by The Physiozest. We get to you discussions with superhumans, super physios and other healthcare practitioners. So with critical thinking in mind, we'll start with the first basic which is slow thinking versus fast thinking. How should new physios approach it as well as old physios? Could we please have your opinions on it? Dr. Asha Menon So, a very good afternoon to you Ashish it's a privilege to be with you and uh if i'm thinking in terms of a clinical decision making you know looking at fast thinking and slow thinking clinical decision making is a very complex process of holistic thinking where you're assimilating complex segmental information and you're trying to view it as a whole rather than just component parts that you've got and you're trying to recognize patterns and to create an order from a disorder okay within our conscious and subconscious thought so the problem with experienced clinicians is that it can be very instinctive and reflexive and uh, in cases of emergency yes it would be very useful but uh, otherwise uh, so in an exceptional circumstances it would be useful but otherwise it could be prone to honing in your favorite diagnosis i think it's a, it's a bit of both uh, mm-hmm. like dr menon said it's not about this or that okay uh, in certain clinical scenarios you would go with your uh, fast thinking which is basically in clinical terms you will say i have seen this before i have seen this clinical presentation before so that's your fast thinking slow thinking would be uh you know thinking about uh, not trying to figure out a diagnosis okay not trying to figure out a structural diagnosis just thinking about how this problem which you have which the patient has how it has manifested to this stage okay so that's slow thinking what other factors uh, you know could be involved things like that so slow and fast both i think needs to be there but uh, slow thinking is is always good because it's it's reflective thinking yes. it's meditative thinking it's not yes. it's not uh, calculative thinking it's not something uh, you know just when you regurgitate or or just speak information it's it's reflective so i think that's slow thinking is is better but it has to be both it's is the it's like you know you have a car and you are driving it so car is slow thinking you are fast thinker so it has to be a balance okay perfect dr menon what biases do you think can occur while you are trying to make a decision for taking a clinical decision making right so you know we clinicians are also subject to the same errors of thinking that could virtually affect all people now as a clinician i think if you are going to we going to introduce bias when we have close ended questions very inadequate and inappropriate history taking 
and a physical examination that may have been limiting would definitely introduce all sorts of biases. And this can best be avoided when we're going to rule out. Because if you're going to start to rule in, you're going to ultimately rule in your favorite diagnosis. So if you've got to think like a scientist and what we've got to be thinking about and be wary about is, you know, as clinicians, the misuse of- That kind of sums it up properly. Okay, Dr. Ashish. Yeah. We have so many fancy accessories. We've got cups, we've got tapes and what is it that makes all of these uh, such an attractive thing for us physios? What makes it so appealing? There are so many debates, like, you know, what you should take, K-taping or manual therapy or dry needling. So what is it that appeals about these modalities so much to us? Well, that's a good question. Uh, okay. So I think the, we, we chase certainty in in our practice uh, so i think this uh, the the conformity which we have been uh, taught in our in our profession in our, in our colleges we are always taught like you know these are the facts this is these are the hard facts you read this uh, that's how uh, not just physio the whole medical education is is like that okay you are told facts anatomy physiology things like that uh, and we are always chasing uh, certainty in practice. So I think that's what attracts uh, physios to these kind of uh, workshops and modalities because the promises made are such that if you use this, this goes away, you hit the right spot, uh, the pain goes away. And that's one reason uh, they're looking for certainty. Uh, the new new physios, the new students, new grad physios, new pastors, they are not ready to, to embrace uncertainty yet. Okay, And to a certain extent, experienced clinicians as well. Uh, because again, uh, it all comes down to critical thinking. It's, it's a hard process. It's, it's not easy. It's cognitively very challenging. So we uh, physios especially don't want to uh, go through that resistance, you know, in the thinking process. It's somebody, it's an appeal to authority. If somebody who is uh, an authoritative figure in the professions is taking a workshop saying that this particular thing does this. Uh, so the easy way out is not to challenge those views and just go with it. So conformity, chasing uh, certainty in practice, uh, the medical system, healthcare system is such that you have to uh, create some sort of an impact in 15 minutes, 20 minutes or whatever time you get. So uh, these dry needling K-tapes are a good way to, to make a first impression. So it's almost like a, like a first date. You go on, you know, you, you, bring out, you, you bring out your aces, your best cards, and you put them on the table so that the other person is, is impressed. So it's almost like that, the first consultation. So you bring out all the fancy gadgets and all the fancy things which you have read. Again, uh, you have uh, a group mentality in students. So uh, if you have a batch of 50 students and out of them, 40 students believe that this workshop is the 
is that big deal you know it's 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 going to solve all the problems so you you have to go with the group right because you ha- you you have that need as a human being to belong to a group because critical thinkers are you know they face a lot of challenges uh, critical thinking is is a taboo kind of a you know it's it's very hard so that's why everybody says critical thinking is good we should all we should all be critical thinkers thinkers are the problem solvers of the world but you know why 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 don't we see critical thinking so much in real life because it's hard and people face a lot of challenges so people don't want to face those challenges they want to chase certainty they want to impress in a very short amount of time i think these are some of the reasons why um, physios get to from your graduate level thinking how you see things in college and how your batchmates are going towards it starts from there similarly yeah. similarly dr asha now for you we i think since our third year only while we are presenting cases we develop an icf kind of a format we go for structural impairments functional impairments then you know participation restrictions and all of that is that really does that really help in differential diagnosis and you know coming to a conclusion for a patient are you talking about stuck a person as a physio who is a special lies in mechanical diagnosis and therapy uh for me um uh, structural impairments are more important to be reviewed in terms of their stability if you know if there is a structural impairment and it is unstable for me it is an immediate referral to a medical doctor and as an mdt clinician or a mckinsey diplomat i would know if the, i would look at seeing this structural impairment that is there is it radiological or is it symptomatic so if it is a symptomatic structural impairment which my mechanical uh, assessment will reveal to me if it's a symptomatic structural impairment that means i'm going to see is it stable or unstable so if it's a structural impairment which is unstable i know i have no role to play in this patient and i refer the patient immediately to the uh, to the specialist that i have to refer to if it is a structural impairment which is stable then i would uh, give a holistic approach to it and uh, using my uh, advanced clinical reasoning of the mdt i would do uh, i would manage the patient in the most uh, methodical way and uh, which is evidence based now if i have a there is a structural impairment which is not symptomatic at all i would consider it as yes there is a structural impairment but that's a radiological the patient is not manifesting with symptoms of it which i would obviously i would come to know that when i do my mechanical diagnosis using the mckinsey method so then i would use directional preference exercises or whatever the evaluation deems necessary so uh does that really give you a answer to what you are seeking yes definitely that we need to look at more things than just the typical abcs that we always yes. look at and look the functional and a functional impairment where it is necessary it's very important important to see the functional impairments because pain is 
can be modulated pain once it is uh, in a chronic time frame then it can be modulated it could be a nociplastic pain so we need to we need to not only look at what are the what's the pain what's happening to the pain we need to also see whether as the symptoms of pain is being affected is the functions also being affected and if along with the if there is certain if there are drivers of pain and disability which has been seen during the evaluation and the patient is not really uh, coming up very well with the exercises that has been prescribed or with what we thought was our provisional diagnosis then obviously and the the functional impairments have not been affected positively then it's time for us to review what we have done and to refer the patient for multidisciplinary treatment so we have to make a balance of all these so nothing is really you know black and white or uh, it it requires a lot of thinking process yes sorry you were asking yes so we are seeing new evidence negating concepts like we used to believe at one point that lifting will cause spine problems or you know your knees shouldn't go over your toes while squatting so what are more such concepts that we as physios believe in which might not really be true where should i start <laughs> <laughs> give me your top 5 top 5 yes. okay so uh like one is i think the the belief that your your weak core causes back pain i think yeah. that that's one of the ones which are, which make me cringe a lot i think that's that's that needs to be up there in the top 5 uh when uh running is bad for your knees that's another one which which kind of grinds my gears uh lifting heavy things uh is bad for women uh that's that's really you know i've heard so many times in gyms and things i've seen so many uh personal trainers in these big chains of gyms just making uh, ladies do cardio and light dumbbells 2 kg 3 kg it's just just ridiculous you know uh so that's there uh what else uh, uh the the myth of uh, overpronation uh you know overpronation causes knee injuries knee valgus uh your uh, exercise should need needs to be a perfect form uh what else uh you should not load uh, we you know we should, you should not load dysfunctional patterns movement patterns all this concept of functional and dysfunctional movement patterns uh your pelvis is out of alignment uh there are so many so many it's it's really sad it's funny but sad sad but true to yeah i have heard of a very very uh, strange thing running causes tightness yeah yeah i don't know i i should yeah. i laugh. yeah it it causes you know i've heard you my muscles can get tight because i'm a runner or somebody saying because because you're running and because you're doing so many marathons that's why you've got all these tightnesses yeah and uh, things like stretching prevents injuries uh so many beliefs which are which have been around for so long these are not 
you mentioned that these are new concepts these are not new concepts these have been around for long long time since the 90s they have published papers on these just that uh, it's what we coming back to critical thinking and and confirmation biases it's just that clinicians we tend to look at evidence which confirms our beliefs and not the opposing beliefs because it's easy it's cognitively easy it's not hard so i think that's why uh, it looks like because of the advent of social media and and you know now everything is accessible there is so much of information uh, but on the other hand uh, just because there is so much information out there right now we need more than ever we need to think critically dr mendel was completely agreeing with you at everything that you were saying do you have anything to add dr mendel it is one thing that you know to this list as i said running causes tightnesses that's a thing that um, some bizarre thing that i've heard but one thing i would like to add is sitting causes back or neck pain you know so there is no research really that points out that sitting can cause back or neck pain there is no direct relation between the two but we do find that patients who may have a back and neck pain they do have a problem sitting where they would sit and the pain could enhance or they do not like sitting but there is no direct research that really links the two together because we do see a lot of people hunched up out there for years together and you know they still do not have any pain and then we are at a loss when a patient says oh you tell me that my posture should be more appropriate but i have 10 people in my office who sit in this position which you say could could bring on my pain and then you have no evidence really to suggest as to that could really cause the pain so in these circumstances i think all that we should say is that you know if this is this posture really brings on your pain then it's best to avoid it and yes there is no real research that links that uh, this is a bad posture or this is a poor posture there is no ideal posture as such but if this brings on your pain then it's high time that you stop doing that and you maybe make a change to it exactly yeah the ideal posture is a myth so like you said you stop this one exercise that is causing your pain along with that you will see patients who will get you know 10 different exercises for one condition so is it so this what we believe in more exercises more better results you will get what do you think about this concept you are asking me yes tell me. yeah okay so um my selling point to my patients is one exercise one minute are you ready ready to do that to reduce your pain and i haven't come across a single patient who says no i can't so if you look at research then these volumes of research that has been done and uh, as you say there is no right right exercise or a wrong exercise it's all about what exercise is to be given for that one particular patient because it's not all about one size fits all it has got to be very specific so for one patient maybe you need to give get that patient functional and hence you need multiple exercises but if you were to see research if you were to see systemic reviews 
you've seen that majority of the patients, about 78 to 80% of patients who attend our OPD clinics could have a directional preference to their movement. So if we know that 80% of patients in our uh, clinics could have a directional preference, then isn't it logical that you would give that one movement to the patient as exercise rather than multiple movements? So if you were to see the one, I could tell you 2004 long at all, or does it matter which exercise? That's one paper that you could go through. Yes, the evidences are much more than, than that one paper. But that's a very beautiful paper that you could see where you know patients have been grouped into matched, unmatched and evidence-based exercises. And then patients have come back and then they have gone back to their directional preference exercise in the outcome. So it's a beautiful paper. But we know that there are reviews multiple papers which tell us that about roughly about 78 to 80% would come into a directional preference. It's only logical that we would give these patients, these 78 to 80% of patients should be given a directional preference exercise then. But makes that, sense. That was very well put with the example and everything. If I, I kind of want to circle back to what Dr. Menon said and I want to take it to Dr. Ashish about the ideal posture thing. So along with the myth about the ideal posture, we also have function versus dysfunctional movements. What are, what are your views about that? Uh, see, we, uh, I don't know what makes us think that we can, from a naked eye, identify a function and classify it as dysfunctional because there is very little evidence to no evidence to say that a certain movement is dysfunctional, okay? Uh, if you read the dynamic sy uh, system theory of movement, you have three things, right? Uh, a movement is accomplished. It has three components, the individual, the task, and the environment, right? So individual factors which you cannot change, uh, like your anatomy, your genetics, your age, your gender, okay? Uh, that will influence the way you move. Simple example being uh, somebody who has very short femurs. They are very happy squatting, you know, as to the grass, kind of like deep squats, right? Somebody who has very long uh, femurs might say, ah, squats, they, they hurt my back. Okay. So different people, because we are variable, you know, so there's so much variability. One person is different than the other. Uh, we will move differently. So there is no ideal functional or proper movement pattern. Uh, also, your movement will depend on the task. Okay. So it will differ when you are picking a box of tissue from the floor compared to if you are picking something a lot more heavier, okay? Uh, so you cannot expect people to move in a certain way all the time. You cannot be bracing your core and keeping your spine straight all the time. It depends on, on the demands of your load, okay? The third is, the component is the environment. Environment could be, uh, 
you know, wet surfaces, roads, football pitch, anything, okay, which which can influence the way you move, all right? So if you are, suppose, for example, you are treating an, a soccer player, a football player after an ACL injury and you are asking them to do some drop jumps from a plyo box, all right? And you're asking them, them to land perfectly, functionally, all right? Uh, and then you are telling them, okay, this is dysfunctional. This is, you should be bending your knee this much, this much landing on your... Now, th those are false environments, okay? It's never like that in, in real sport. Imagine, you know, heavy Mumbai rain and you are playing in a football ground with like 11 opponents around you, you know, trying to make a header with the, with the ball. And are you going to land the same way? So you cannot uh, actually, it's very, I think uh, from the part of physios, it's very uh, condescending. It's very, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know the word that we believe that we can pinpoint dysfunctions or we, we are movement experts and we, we can identify uh, things. Now tell uh, tell these dysfunctions to the, the, the Paralympic athletes, you know? So are you telling them you, you, they shouldn't load, they shouldn't strengthen, you know, people who are doing deadlifts on one leg? Uh, can, you know, you, you cannot say that because a real life is, is, is filled with such examples. So I think movement is better overall doesn't matter functional or dysfunctional. A squat can be functional. Uh, a walk can be functional. Anything can be functional. It just, you know, creating these, these uh, you know, these little boxes in our head. What is a perfect movement? What is not? It just, it does nothing, but it actually creates a lot of fear in patients' brains, you know, because these are people who are just getting introduced to exercise. They are just getting introduced to movement. And if you scare the shit out of them so much, right at the beginning, it's, they are never going to move. You know, and these are words, the way our narratives are towards each patient, they, it gets, you know, it, it has, uh, you know, impact on a very deeper level for the patient. We, I know we don't have much time, otherwise this is a very big topic to pick apart. So. Is, is there a correct way to communicate with the patient or uh, to make the patient understand uh, the exercises or our instructions that... For compliance of uh, the patient to your exercises, there's no, there's no uh, you know, right communication. Communication is different with everybody. So it's all about... Uh, the it's all about that patient's learning style. So we've got to, we as clinicians should be equipped to teach our patient communication, get him from where he is of, I know I need to change, but I'm not prepared to change. From there, you've got to get him to, okay, I am trying to change now. Okay, I have put in the efforts to change. Right, so I've started changing. Yes, I have changed. And this shift happens only with the way we are educating our patient in their learning style. So we could have a patient who may be a kinesthetic learner, who may be a visual learner, who may be in different ways. 
So as a clinician, if you want your patient to be compliant to you, you should be prepared to number one, see where he is in his stage of learning. Secondly, we need to get him to, we need to teach him in his way, in a way that he's going to learn. So we've got to do our patient, patient educations in different ways, visual ways. So give him reading matters, give him things that he can hear. So we should be able to identify these people. We should also be able to teach them how to experience that. That look, you did this exercise just now and you had 80% pain and you did this moment, what happened? Your 80% pain now is zero. So what do you think you should do? So there may be people who will want to learn, want to learn. So you should be equipped as a clinician to, to attract them in their learning style. So it's not right communication or wrong communication. It is all about the right, com right communication to that. How do you establish a balance between a patient-focused care and a pathology-focused care? Uh, are there any particular methods that we might apply to establish that balance? Uh, the, the pathology is in the person, no? So it's always going yeah. to be person-focused care. It cannot be pathology-focused. If you are a critical thinker, okay, it helps you with your communication. Because you know, you have assessed, you have reflected on your practice and all the information which is available. And you have discussed it with your peers. Okay, You have surrounded yourself with people who actually challenge your biases, who question your thinking. And that way you have become more receptive in uh, you know receiving, I won't say constructive criticism, but receiving suggestions, receiving or looking at other points of views as well. So that indirectly, indirectly makes you a better company. So when you approach a patient with anything like suppose a back pain or something, it's always going to be person focused. And first of all, before you start going into the, even though you say you are following the biopsychosocial model, but you will still be doing something very biomedical, which is straight away thinking that I need to fall, you have to validate because a person might come to you with very long held beliefs saying that, okay, back backs run in my fa family. My very well-reputed doctor, surgeon has told me that I have disc deep. I, maybe if you dig deep down, you will think or uh, you, you might get to know that this lady who is having back pain is actually very fearful that she might never get pregnant. She might never be able to carry a child because her core is so weak. That's first of all, before doing anything, you need to validate the person. You need to validate and then you need to empathize. Validation comes at many different levels. Level one validation is when you are listening. Okay, now there is a difference between listening and hearing. Okay, these are two different things. All right, when you are listening, you, you listen, but you don't pass judgments, you listen. And you make sure the patient knows that you are there for them. You are in their corner. Okay. You ask them open-ended question. Like how, when, why do you think that is? Okay. Why do you think that belief is not like, no, I just, the, this recent study came out, which shows that, you know, posture has a very poor correlation with pain. Be affirmative, affirm their beliefs. Okay. Tell them, accept what they're telling you. Don't go like a wild bull in a china shop saying that you know no no this is wrong what what you you will lose trust so you are talking about building compliance 
your patient is not going to be compliant if he doesn't trust you okay it doesn't matter what you give it's how you give it affirmative then reflect once you have heard them question it back so in statements like okay so what i'm hearing is or what do you mean okay so if i'm hearing you right are you saying this reconfirm again reflect what they are saying okay and then at the end summarize your consultation so what do you think we should do or what do you think you can do with me things like that statements like that and the patient is going to tell you what is the solution you don't have to worry about you know you just have to worry about what the patient enjoys to do can do will do like dr menon says if if the patient is ready willing and able to do okay these three things ready willing and able so that's your job so give it give him one simple and effective thing it could be anything it doesn't have to be a bird dog exercise or a hip thrust exercise it could be just walk 15 minutes take the stairs coming down from your apartment build simple something which reduces the kinesophobia the movement fear okay something which makes the person trust you then only is going to come back you or she is going to come back to you when you critically think taking all the evidence your communication tends a lot of times uh, in our clinics uh, we don't actually have time of evaluating a patient one on one or prescribing a tailor made management how does this impact the physio profession per se and uh, how does this impact the relationship that the physiotherapist have with the patient and as well as with the to what what is the definition of physiotherapy uh according to our state councils right it very clearly tells that this is a very mature profession where we are very independent thinkers and we have the capacity in us and the academic uh qualification in us to take on a patient evaluate the patient know when we need to refer the patient know what is the physiotherapeutic treatment that we've got to give there is no way that you can adhere to the to the definition of physiotherapy when you are taking on 10 patients and you are the only physio around there even if you are taking 3 patients you cannot do justice to anybody because i think number one the indian patients deserve as good a method of treatment uh, as anybody around the world so if an orthopedic physiotherapist around the world is doing a one is to one evaluation and treatment why shouldn't a patient in india deserve it now secondly if you're thinking or you're giving an excuse that oh we have too many patients we have a huge population then we have a huge population but we also have a huge population of physiotherapists so it balances got a one week back pain it's it's not a life threatening emergency at all so if you're already seeing a patient you can al- always give the patient an appointment and once again we have researches around three decades that points out right from 1987 spitzer et al which very clearly indicates and suggests that we must make the patients actively participate in the patient because we are dealing with um, 
very episodic disorders we must teach these patient to empower them We're going to get them dependent on us so so often we have these 10 people attending our clinics and they don't need to all they they may need to come is one day and they may need to come after they have done their job after a, after a few days or a week uh, you know our veterans have coined a beautiful uh, definition of physiotherapy so why shouldn't we abide by that definition uh, yeah it's a tricky there's no straight answer to this question i don't think so the the profession is 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 the problem it's is in danger i think it's the is the practice if you look at the bigger picture you are you are dealing with burnouts then very soon if this continues to happen and the more uh, you know uh, unsatisfied physio population we have in our country uh, that's going to be a major and burnout is never good for for personal health and and for uh, you know the whole the whole physio pop might not see the effect straight away uh, and yes and it makes a good point that it's not fair to the patients you might be doing harm but uh, again on the other hand you you can still you can see a patient for an hour and still do harm if you are yeah. not so uh, it again is there's no straight answer to this but uh, yes if you look at uh, if you look at burnout because i think that's that's going to be a major problem for physios and that's what uh, kind of discourages a uh, new new grad physios to to either leave the profession because there's so many who in one point of their lives have thought of leaving the profession uh, so i think that's that's the that's a bigger issue rather than uh, because i don't think so physio only does that a lot of medical uh, professions or branches do that see a lot of patients in a thinking uh, do you think there ever comes a point where uh, critical thinking can become a negative thing in the clinical practice does can that ever <laughs> that's a tough question uh no i because see it critical thinking is needs to be there but it should not it, it allows you and not be like uh, something called as uh, paralysis by analysis okay if if you're critic you're thinking so much that you're not even doing anything for the patient in front of you who is in pain then it could be a negative thing but overall it's a positive thing because uh, it's not about you it's it's about the patients you are caring for if they deserve the best care then you need to do critical thinking you need to think critically okay so it's all about the patients so yes it should allow us it should not you know stop us by just you know uh, okay uh, we see this many times in in clinical practice that you know we are so hell bent towards evidence uh, that we forget the the other two pillars of evidence based medicine right so one is the patient experience what the patient brings to the table one is your experience as a clinician and one is what the research says so see these are these three pillars okay you you need 
if you want to be known as an evidence based practitioner you need to work on these three pillars right you know you need to work on that experience pillar as well you need to gain that experience and experience comes when you think critically but also are open to other possibilities as well such as you are dealing with a human they will not always conform to what you think is right yeah so uh it's it's overall a good thing i i like critical thinking because it <clears throat> it's very meditative it's reflective but it's also it's also about knowing the fact that science and evidence it's 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 about constantly crossing uh, you know gaps bridges constantly crossing chasms you are you are here but you could be wrong so it's always about continually evolve critical thinking is necessary okay but uh, it should we should also be careful that it's not leading to a paralysis that we are not doing anything to help yeah as uh, i agree quite a bit to what uh, dr ashish has to say and i think uh, you know it's uh, we become very reflective uh, when we are going to be uh you know critically thinking so when you are when you are even there is newer informations that come through you have got to look at it in a with a critical appraisal not accept everything uh that comes in print as a gospel truth so you've got to think about it you've got to look at you know uh, uh in terms of the entire information that's come through through a research paper look at it with a critical appraisal and then see what 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 do you think about it in terms of applying it within your society so so often yes uh we do say that uh, we must have research which has got uh, external validity so that means it should be something should be every it should be any treatment method should be applicable to all populations but that's not that's not you know what happens many times so we've got to look at it in a larger perspective and yes clinical practice patterns are going to change when newer newer informations come in and we have to reflect we have to th- think about it if something is right we've got to embrace it and go beyond your comfort yeah as uh, i agree quite a bit to what uh, dr ashish has to say and i think uh, you know it's uh, we become very reflective uh, when we are going to be uh, you know critically thinking so when you are when you are even there is newer informations that come through you have got to look at it in a with a critical appraisal not accept everything uh, that comes in print as a gospel truth so you've got to think about it you've got to look at you know uh, uh, in terms of the entire information that's come through through a research paper look at it with a critical appraisal and then see what 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 do you think about it in terms of applying it within your society so so often yes uh we do say that uh, we must have research which has got uh, external validity so that means it should be something should be every it should be any treatment method should be applicable to all populations but that's not that's not you know what happens many times so we've got to look at it in a larger perspective 
and yes clinical practice patterns are going to change when newer newer informations come in and we have to reflect we have to th- think about it if something is right we've got to embrace it and go beyond your comfort so i guess it's all about you know an individual perspective also the critical thinking is a never ending process it needs to always be present okay because you need to be honest with yourself and you need to be honest with your patients so it's a never ending process and also important because if you are thinking critically we can actually refer our patients to other professionals when we know that you know there is conflicting evidence we know that you know we we we, we are not the right people to help okay so i think that's why critical thinking is is very important because being the clear diagnosis is not the most important thing okay we can be wrong and it won't matter physios get away with murder actually and it doesn't matter okay so it's okay it's okay to be wrong and our diagnosis can change with time as the patient improves or shows uh, other symptoms or or tells you something from their history or whatever our diagnosis change but we will be able to accept that change in diagnosis when we have this never ending process of critical thinking going on and it's very important very important for us to know where to stop this is where i stop this is where i know that i cannot affect and i have got to refer the patient as dr ashish very yeah. rightly says it's not you can't treat we must accept that we can't treat all the patients all the time and we can't keep patients forever with us for months together without critically appraising and seeing uh, are we doing anything positive is something happening is any outcomes happening so this will happen only if you are going to critically appraise every single time that the patient has come back you've got to review everything critically thinking you can only build it by knowledge by practice it's it's not it's i won't even say it's a skill i mean it's not a skill like you know learn french or you know do something else learn to cook it's not that okay it's knowledge it's critical thinking by definition is is the interpretation of the knowledge the information you have it's it's self directed it's self reformative it's it's self reflective okay it's it's what you do with all the information you have and that knowledge needs to improve first before you can very fashionably say that you are a critical thinker because nowadays it's very very easy because it's all over social media you can say you know structure does not equal pain so i am a critical thinker or you know that the current evidence says this so i am a critical thinker no no it's not that it's it's the knowledge is the information which you have uh in having information is different using that information is different thing so you know it's 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 a never ending process it takes a long long time i'm still trying to develop critical thinking it's not there yet but it happens why do you think if there the ebp is why if the patient is getting a response yeah obviously that response is not um, that may be just a placebo or it may be some, how, how do we justify that question ki no ebp karna chahiye 
even if there's no evidence for needling there's no evidence for taping but still uh, it's giving effects it's still uh, making the patient happy because they are happy with the extra so i just if any one of you could just give us when you a, say that a patient gets better once again we are looking at as he said if you're looking at pain it is modulated okay number 1 you got to also look at functions is the functions getting better now the most important thing is if you say that your patient has got better is it short term betterment or long term betterment has he gone back to doing every single thing he was doing before the onset of pain if even if you say that the patient has uh, in clinical research if you say that the patient has remained better for 3 months that's called a, if you say that you got a one year where your patient post your treatment has remained better for a year and not sought treatment for the same symptoms anywhere else that's when you say those who are looking at my patients are better well i would say that you're living in a dream world then you need to come out of the dream world and see has the patient really gone back to doing his full functions that means if he was trekking every weekend has he gone back to doing that without pain because that's the job we have to do so are you so meaning would... to say that i'm so sorry to cut in but are you meaning to say that uh, the patient is still the your, the example which you talk about the patient is still continuing with exercises while no, uh, no. Okay. for a year no it is where you followed up the patient for a year no for the sake of understanding whether he is better so the patient is not been post your discharge when you say that patient is got better and you discharge the patient post your discharge he's got to be zero on symptomatics and the functional scales he's got to be completely fully functional and he's got to remain in that status if you have got a one year follow up and the patient has not sought treatment again anywhere else for the same thing that's when you can say that you whatever you have given it all depends upon the patient's perception of what is better the patient might perceive that my neck pain is a lot better and i think that the treatment you gave me today is a lot better but you critically analyze what you have done and you ask the patient further more questions as to what all is better and you might probably end up understanding that the patient's distal symptoms have got worse but it's the patient patient's perception that my neck is better and i'm a lot better but as a clinician as a medical professional if your proximal pain has reduced but your distal symptoms have increased you have only worsened the patient so you have only asked the patient he has told you something about his perception and you live in a dream world that your treatment has given the optimal now i just want to say this is what i meant by when i was talking about burnout you know the the frustration which the the new grad physios have in our country that's the bigger picture we need to see uh, all these uh, busting myths on social media and uh, the, they get you the likes they get you the followers uh, yes but we do tend to fall into something of a social media echo chamber where what we yeah, are yeah, yeah. 
where what we are putting out uh, is only falling in on the ears of clinicians. Okay, so we all know uh, that you know uh, bending the spine is is okay and and uh, knees over toes is okay, but uh, uh, is that making the real? So uh, talking about evidence-based medicine. Uh, and should we do what the patients want us to do? Now, actually, evidence-based medicine is something which is created by humans, okay? And like everything which is created by humans, it has earlier model of evidence-based medicine was uh, the stool model. So you have a stool, we have three pillars. The, your, the best available evidence is one. Two is your... Uh, patient's experiences and third is your own experience as a clinician and what you bring to the table and that actually created a very grotesque picture of evidence-based medicine over time okay the better way of looking at evidence-based medicine is like a funnel okay so you have the best av available evidence at the top okay so the patient experiences and what the uh, what your clinical experiences that's the second layer of the filter and the last layer of the filter is the patient okay so whatever the patient is getting is coming through these filters okay so if we talk about the first layer which is your evidence based medicine the best available evidence filter yeah uh, so you have these, you must have seen that pyramid of evidence, right? You have the case control study at the bottom, the systemic reviews and meta-analysis at the top. That's your best available evidence. Now, one thing you need to uh, be careful is that don't just read evidence which confirms your beliefs. Okay? That's one thing. Alright? Then you come to the Second, which is your clinical experience, okay? What what you see in the clinic, all right? And uh, how, again, it's the lowest form of evidence, but it has to go through that filter. And what the patient gets at the end is the, is, is the best available evidence. It's what you have seen. And then that's what the patient gets at the end. So it's not like you are doing what the patient wants. You understand? You're not doing what the patient wants. You are giving an option to the patient after analyzing the best available evidence, pro and cons, like to and against, for and against. Then you pass it through what you have seen in your own clinic, okay, in your own practice. And then you give the option to the patient. Okay, so this is what we can do. A much gentler way of looking at evidence-based medicine as a philosophy, not as something which is like, you know, we have to do this or we have to do that. Patient values or patient are at the end of the funnel. Okay, so they're not at the top. They will not decide. But what has been told to them, that comes in that second funnel. That's where the problem happens. That, that clinical experience layer in the in the middle that's where whatever narratives has been told to the patient then the patient is going to say 
at the end like you know i've heard this or you told me this so should i do this and is not born with preferences it's not like they're going to come into your clinic and straight away tell you okay uh, do this to me kahin na kahin kabhi na kabhi kisi na kisi se they must have heard it make sure that your evidence based medicine funnel is is working properly so you're filtering everything out and then giving an option to the patient at the your question when i say evidence based medicine okay as i use this term evidence based medicine what is the first image that comes into your head first image comes there are thousand articles uh where, where the physio goes back home and reads those articles and um, he is coming back to clinic and listening to the patient and trying to get some part of it in his rehab that is what a basic so picture i have so research is your what about nirja what's what's your first picture when you no, hear the evidence based that's exactly the same thing the pubmed home page just comes it's not it's a combination of evidence plus we can do so much better can do so much better because this is something created by humans it has errors it has its fallacies and things but evidence based medicine does not only mean research 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 it means take your experience into consideration take your uh, patients experience into consideration Fil- make it go through the funnel your clinical reasoning process then you provide things because your treat what matters is the person in front of you okay that's where the, that is why critical thinking is so important to sum it up between what's good for you what's what's not so good okay otherwise if you don't challenge these because you come out of college and you hear things like this course is is wonderful this workshop is great this is the best this is this this is that this is this this big 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 gray area it's where you thrive is once you take ownership of your actions is once you have a growth mindset with you and you then put your critical thinking cap on then you are going to be one hell of it you're not you're not becoming a technician you don't have to be the best in a, a technique or best in in something just need to be human first okay. that's that's medicine that's that's medical humanities that's where your human aspect comes in that's where empathy comes in that's where your system is set up it's very didactic it's a regurgitating you know remembering and then pouring it all out kind of an education system which has made us think that way that to be a good clinician to be a evidence based practitioner we need to research read research this 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 we need to be we need to know what is the origin of adductor longus and the insertion of plantar or something or the other doesn't matter that term is like this very conformative doesn't want critical thinkers because then you are you would be questioning the education system and that's not good we're doing ultrasounds they are still being taught in colleges yeah. so if a topic like ultrasound is been around for like 20 years 
imagine a curriculum full of such topics and just imagine how long is going to take but it the change starts with you don't think in terms of let me amass techniques let me learn as many techniques you know as yeah. possible to treat you can't amass techniques to treat you know as dr ashish says this is a human being that's in front of you who is very different who feels differently and every patient feels differently about the pain or about the symptoms that they have so what you've got to try is let me learn as much as possible to evaluate my patient better and better and better so that i understand that patient better and better and i understand each patient's variability that they are different and when a patient gets worse in front of me i am able to tell why he got worse and what can i do to rectify that and if a patient got better once again why did he get better not be ambiguous about it oh yes he got better but was it natural history or something i did so be really sure about it so that's going to happen when you have a very when you have learned and learned how to evaluate better then you will know when a patient gets better why he got better and if somebody is unchanged you will know what to do again yeah. so don't think don't think about going to you know this is an academy academy bazaar when you come out you are going to see so don't think in terms of you know getting more and more techniques into my bag of treatment no you can't treat you got to assess and as you assess the management automatically happens donate with you because uh, during the start of my in- internship i was that get all the techniques let me learn everything under the sun uh, currently mm-hmm. i'm at that stage ke you know ashi you have to focus on what the crux is what the thing is and then clinical uh, we could, we tend to forget the difference between patient satisfaction and treatment outcome okay we tend yes. to miss this patients can be satisfied with a lot of things yeah so it's a it's a different thing both of these things are different uh and it's okay it's completely valid to uh because i was in the same stage not too long ago uh, i am trying to get so the thing is you need to be the change thing is about feeling better and getting better as dr ashish says you know feeling better a patient can feel better due to a lot of things but getting better is what we need to focus on all from our side connect with us on instagram and linkedin the physiotest e magazine launches bi-monthly catch our latest edition at www.thephysiotest.com the physiotest signing off evolving you one page at a time